I am so glad that you are joining Cindy LeFevre Yorks for this episode of His GPS for Your SOS. We pray these encouraging words will enrich and bless your day. Part 5. Deviations in Worshiping the Creation versus the Creator The very first sentence in the Bible reveals a simple yet imperative truth about God. There we see that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It does not say who created God because He is the Alpha and the Omega, both the beginning and the end. So we know that all things were indeed created by God. As followers of Christ and His Father, the God and Creator of the universe, we understand that God is the only, one, supreme being, elevated above and beyond all that He's made. But when it comes to who is actually dominating the earth, God assigned that task to someone he made in his own image, man himself. In Genesis 2.26, we read that God made man in his own image and bestowed on him dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. After he created and blessed Adam and Eve, he added that they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it dominating every living thing that moves on the earth. Men have certainly followed the command of multiplying, whether they did so to honor God or not. But sometimes the divine order is a tad askew. Some people seem more frantic to save the whales than they are to fight for the rights of the unborn child. Hardened criminals are willing to take precious human lives in pursuit of ill-gotten gains. Misguided souls are murdering fellow human beings to honor false man-made gods, serving as impostors of the one true God. They worship not only what God has created, but perversions of His creation as well, exchanging the truth for lies, and that's found in Romans one twenty-five. To be fair, our enemy Satan has had a heavy hand in orchestrating these warped perceptions. He loves to mix up the great giver and his gifts. I love how Jesus framed gifts and the giver in Matthew 7.8. He reminds us to ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus then adds a mini-parable to drive home the point that God gives us what we need, even when we might want something else entirely. And that which we need involves good gifts. I love how the message translation phrases what we think we want versus what God knows we need, and at the end of the day, what we really want too. There we read, don't bargain with God, be direct, ask for what you need. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, even you wouldn't think of such a thing, and neither would I. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? Indeed, he will. He combats Satan's lie that self-serving acquisition at all costs is better than accepting and receiving the good gifts God our Father deems fit to bestow on each of us. He does so by inviting us into a relationship of trust. This trust creates a foundation on which we can build our faithfulness and obedience to Him. Only then can He rule and reign in our hearts. He rests at the top of our needs pyramid. He is our all in all, not just a mere decorative cherry on the top. In the interest of full disclosure, I sometimes find myself repenting of worshiping creation and not the Creator, too. I don't always patiently await God's gifts like I ought. 
but I'm getting better at recognizing the truths that are handily exchanged for lies, minimizing the amount of time it takes for me to recognize my error. And then I can come once again to the God who made me and knew I would fall short and receive the very best gift He's ever given me, redemption, sanctification, and the promise of eternal life with Him in His new Jerusalem, a place that will surely be His finest creation yet. In the meantime, God bestows present moment gifts to us as well. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 6.33 that when we refrain from pursuing the hedonistic pleasures of this world and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first, all these things will be added to our abundant bounty as He sees fit. Join me in allowing the Creator to rule the throne of our hearts and bestow the good gifts to each of us as He sees fit in His timing within His methodology, to the glory of His holy name. I'd like to read an excerpt now from my third book, The Vault Door, and this excerpt is entitled, Inventorying Your Valuables. I remember back in the late 90s when a fire blazed near my home. Alerts began pinging continually to my phone regarding possible evacuations. My mind began to race as I thought about what I would gather up if a fire came to pass. Irreplaceable photographs and pets were at the top of my list. Then there was a secondary pile of silverware and jewelry. Suddenly I imagined myself without any possessions, as if everything had been burned. Pets and photos, okay, those are valuable. But silver and jewelry, those items provide no warmth or love. The Bible is clear about what is important that remains valuable for all time. Faith, hope, and love. We read about those in 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. But the greatest of that time-honored trifecta is love. So it follows that what we want to keep in our vaults are more secured centrally on those things above, not on earthly things, as stated in Colossians 3.2. Sadly, our judgment alone on what belongs in the vault can be skewed or corrupted. During the pandemic, when state and local governments began imposing lockdowns and restrictions, the end was not in sight then, as of this writing, but in our social structures and experiences in our communities, everything shrank, and I again began to take stock as to what was truly valuable to me. Such a block of time became a commodity, worthy of storing in my vault, rather than something to be endured, or even frittered away, as we all began waiting for the lockdown to end. So we began to gather, on Zoom, at drive-by parties and tiny celebrations outdoors. And we began to structure these kinds of existences. And so the Lord brought new epiphanies and inspirations. And he also brought to mind a couple of other scribes during the lockdown. They faced a crossroad with much stricter treatment and literal chains and locks. Paul and John. Paul was frequently in and out of Roman jails. He wrote some of his greatest letters featured in the Bible, while he was literally in chains. And John, who was exiled by Rome to the island of Patmos, wrote the book of Revelation based on visions he experienced while in lockdown himself. God will give you some glimpses of what he wants you to know about your life and how you are spending it too, if you ask him to reveal it. As we sojourn through each day, we need to take stock of our fellow travelers, needed provisions, scenic turnouts, and final destinations. We would do well to come to Him humbly in prayer, with an open mind and heart. In Psalm 139.23, we find David's earnest petition, 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. He goes on to ask God to lead him in an everlasting way. And that's from verse 24. I'm sure we're all in agreement that the everlasting way is the only way we want to travel in this earthly journey with an eternal destination. And because time is one of the few non-renewable resources we're given in this life, we need to be good stewards of it. Indeed, God numbered our days before we were born. We should not squander that gift. I also love the verse that appears in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, For now we see indistinctly, as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Once we meet God face to face, we will understand why His plan was always best, even when what we tried to prioritize looked different from His vision. There's an old hymn entitled, Be Thou My Vision. It's an 18th century hymn translated by Eleanor Hull in 1912. The hymn was inspired by an action St. Patrick took in A.D. 433. During the pagan feast of Beltane, the king of Ireland and Druid priests ordered all fires to be extinguished. Then they would light their own huge fire, from which all other fires around Ireland would be lit. But since the pagan feast coincided with Easter, St. Patrick risked his life by climbing a tall hill and lighting his own fire. He wanted to show the world that God's light shines in the darkness. When the fire could not be put out, St. Patrick was given a stage to speak to the Irish people about Jesus Christ. What a testimony to trust in God's divine illumination. And the keys to kingdom living are, trust God's illumination as you inventory your valuables. And the doorpost is, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Matthew six nineteen. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of His GPS for Your SOS. Cindy also posts encouragement daily on Instagram. Her blogs can be found on her website, cindyyorks.com. Her entire Door Devotion trilogy is now available on Amazon.